Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The first reading is from page 740 in the Bibles in front of you. Um, Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 12. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 27, 11 to 31, which is on page 998. Matthew 27, beginning at verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they'd handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? Pilate asked them. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. 
But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers round him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sean. Do keep those uh, Bibles uh, open uh, in front of you on that page as we continue to look through uh, Matthew, Matthew's gospel on the way up to Easter. Let me pray for us now as we look at God's word. Father, we do pray that uh, the reading of your word would not just be that, but that it would be uh, something much bigger than that. We pray that as we uh, look at your word together now, uh, that we would hear you speaking to us. Encourage us, we pray. Challenge us where we need that. Humble us if we need that. And uh, may we go away having heard your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over these uh, last weeks, it's been desperate to follow the very public trials of Chris Hune and his former wife, Vicky Price. In case you've forgotten the details, Chris Hune, the government minister, asked his then-wife, Vicky Price, to take points on her driving licence for a speeding offence that he committed so that he wouldn't be banned from driving. It was a crime that they'd uh, got away with, except Chris Hune had an adulterous affair, and to get back at him, Vicky Price contacted a journalist and told of the misdemeanour. When it came out in the press... Uh, Chris Hume was challenged about it. He repeatedly lied until eventually it caught up with him. He could lie no longer. He lost his job. They were both taken to court. And earlier in the week, they were both given custodial sentences for perverting the course of justice. There's so much that could be said about the whole sorry story. At home, Caroline and I have talked about how, once again, an adulterous affair has so many knock-on effects. How they wreck people's lives. We've spoken of how a desire for revenge has so backfired. But all that apart, in the media there has been almost universal agreement that this crime should have been punished, should be punished as it was. That they should be sent to jail. Justice should be done because we don't like the thought of injustice. Which makes our Bible passage this evening intriguing. And it should make our blood boil. Because as we head towards Easter and we see Uh, Matthew chapter 27 tonight we'll see injustice all over the place and not least of all as we come to our first point this evening sorry I haven't got a handout but if you're taking notes here's the first point the silence of the lamb as we look at the first few verses of our bible passage it's clear that Matthew wants us to note that Jesus remains silent at key points during his trials look at verse 11 Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it's as you say, Jesus replied. And then Matthew writes an editorial comment. Very important. Verse 12. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Matthew says, note the silence. In his previous trial, Jesus gave no answer to that question. 
And then Matthew continues to recall the the events of Jesus' trial before Pilate. Verse 13, then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. More silence. And this time the silence was deafening as far as Pilate was concerned. Do you see that there at the end of verse 14, Pilate was amazed. See, Pilate had been used to defendants standing before him and pleading their innocence, begging with him to believe their side of the story. No wonder Pilate was amazed that Jesus didn't say a word. But it's not just that Jesus' reaction is different from all other defendants that we're to note. Remember, Matthew is writing to a Jewish readership. And I think Matthew expects any self-respecting Israelite to know what this silence means. Keep your service sheet in Matthew 27 and come back with me to Isaiah 53 for a moment. Page 740, the, um, the, the first of the two readings that Sean just read for us. Here we'll begin to see the, the point of the silence, the implication of the silence. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7. This uh, chapter is speaking of the suffering servant, the servant who, verse 5, would be pierced for our transgressions. And speaking of that suffering servant, Isaiah writes, verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and the sheep before her shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. There's the point for us tonight. Isaiah tells us that the promised suffering servant, the one who would be pierced in order to take upon himself the sin of the world, this servant would be silent. Like a lamb to the slaughter, like a a sheep being sheared. He wouldn't wriggle and squirm and try and get out of the situation. No, he would willingly, silently take what was coming to him. So as Matthew writes, Jesus gave no answer. Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge. As Matthew writes those words, we should be thinking, ah, so this Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53. And before we return to chapter 27 of Matthew, see what else Isaiah says of the suffering servant. Isaiah makes the point that this one is innocent. Look at verse 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, so you might think he was evil. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Now that too is going to be crucial for us tonight. But for now, come back with me to Matthew chapter 27, page 998. And you see in those verse verses, uh, 11 uh, to 14, Matthew underlines the silence of Jesus so that we know that Jesus is none other than the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. That's the first point, the silence of the lamb, which leads to the second, if you're taking notes, the innocence of the servant. Oh, we've seen it already in Isaiah 53. The suffering servant was innocent. And so unsurprisingly, Matthew underlines that very point for us too. Verse 15. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they'd handed Jesus over to him. 
That's the, that's the sentence, that last sentence. Pilate knew that it was out of envy that they'd handed Jesus over to him. Pilate knew. Pilate knew exactly why Jesus had been brought before him. It wasn't because he was guilty. It was because the Jews were, innocent, uh, were envious. So Pilate knew that, the, that Jesus was innocent. And he was hoping at this point that they'd, they'd say, well, let him go. The crowd would say, let him go. So here we see Jesus' innocence. Pilate knew he was innocent. And then we see that, again, underlined throughout this, the, the, these verses. First, see how Pilate's wife told him that Jesus was innocent. Verse 19, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Now, you can imagine the scene. Pilate gets a text Uh, She'd had a dream during the day, verse 19. I love that. It was during the day. She'd settled down for her afternoon siesta. But rather than have a nice, refreshing sleep, she'd had a nightmare. So terrifying was this daydream that she was beside herself. She couldn't get it out of her mind. I'd love to know what was in that dream. We're not told. Still, the important thing is that Pilate was told, and he was told that Jesus was innocent. How kind of God... You see, being the Roman governor, there's no reason why Pilate would know Isaiah chapter 53. The religious leaders should have known it. Matthew's first readers should have known it. But there's no reason why Pilate should know anything about a silent and innocent person being led like a lamb to the slaughter. So God got the message to Pilate through a dream. How kind of God. How kind of him to make it so abundantly clear to Pilate so that Pilate would know exactly what he should do with Jesus. And that's obvious, he should let him go. But that, of course, at the same time is what makes Pilate's response so wrong. Verse 19 is very clear. Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat. And if the trial of Chris Hewn and Vicky Price tells us how we cry out for justice, then it's quite clear what Pilate should have done. We'd have been outraged if the, if, if the judge hadn't sentenced Tune and Price. Just as we're outraged when there's a miscarriage of justice and an obvious innocent person is made a scapegoat. That's what's going on here. At this point, Pilate should have stopped the trial then and there and acquitted Jesus and told the crowd to disperse and to get on with their lives. But no, Pilate gets swayed by the crowd who themselves have been persuaded by the religious leaders. That's what we read in verse 20. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. The crowd are baying for Jesus' blood. But do you see it there again, verse 23? Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. As he asked the crowd, what crime has he committed? The crowd aren't listening to reason. And so they cry, crucify him. In verse 24, when Pilate saw what, what, uh, that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. It says it all, doesn't it? I'm innocent of this man's blood. This man doesn't deserve to be crucified. I'm washing my hands of the whole affair. Pilate knows Jesus is innocent. 
And so the injustice of the situation should leave us outraged. The silence of the lamb, the innocence of the servant, it all speaks of Jesus being the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53. And that is why to reject him puts us under the curse of God. That's the third point if you're taking notes, the the curse of God. See, it's clear that Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. It's obvious that he should have had him released, told the crowd to go home. But Pilate wanted a quiet life. And so as we've seen in verse 24, he washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. But as we read those words, we are unlikely to ever read words that are so contrary to what they say. Let me explain. As Pilate said, I'm innocent, it's your responsibility. The truth is, he's guilty and it's his responsibility. You see, the words that Pilate speaks here have been spoken before in Matthew's gospel. And the last time we heard these words, we knew that those who said them were guilty and responsible for their guilt. You don't have to go very far back either. Just go back in this chapter, chapter 27 to verse 4. That's as far as you need to go back. Having betrayed Jesus and having taken money to do it, Judas said, verse 4, I have sinned for I have betrayed innocent blood. And the chief priests and elders replied, what is that to us? Here's the words. That's your responsibility. Exactly the words of Pilate in verse 24. But when the chief priests and the elders said those words in verse 4, we knew they weren't innocent at all. They were guilty and responsible for arresting an innocent man. So as Pilate said the same words, we know that Pilate's not innocent either. He's guilty and Jesus' death is his responsibility. See, we can claim innocence as much as we like. But when we fail to stand up for, well, anyone who's innocent, but not least of all the innocent Jesus, we are guilty. And everyone else who features in the passion of the Christ in Matthew's gospel is guilty and is cursed. And we saw it last week with Peter. Look back to chapter 26 and verse 74. Peter began to call down curses on himself and he did it on oath. He swore. Now, how did uh, Peter Bramall so helpfully put it last week? I think it was like this. He said, it's as if Peter, Simon Peter said, may the Lord deal with me, ever, be it ever so severely, if what I'm saying is not true. Well, what Simon Peter said was not true. He was speaking lies. He was denying that he knew Jesus. And so his own words in verse 74 were putting him under the curse of God. Peter is under God's curse and so is Judas. Look at chapter 27, verse 5. Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Judas hanged himself. And God's word says, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So Judas died under the curse of God. Peter called down curses on himself. The chief priests and Pilate plead their innocence, but we know that they are guilty. They are guilty of turning away from the, in fact, killing the son of God. They all have the curse of God coming down upon them. And then there's the crowd. Look at the frightening words they cry out at the end of our passage, verse 25. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Again, those words are just like Peter's words as he called down curses on himself. 
And the words of the crowd are very similar to Judas's words in verse 4. I've betrayed innocent blood. So the crowd too are putting themselves and their children under the curse of God. It's frightening. And to show us just how wicked the crowd are, there's another character who features in this passage who we've not mentioned yet. His name is Barabbas. And as you cast your eye down this passage, you'll see his name appears again and again and again, five times, Barabbas. Barabbas, it means son of the father, bar son, Abba father. Son of the father, just like his dad, a chip off the old block. Verse 16, though, tells us he was a notorious prisoner. Maybe his dad was as well. Here's the thing, given the choice between releasing the innocent Jesus or the notorious criminal Barabbas, The crowd chose Barabbas. That's how guilty the crowd are here. And so Matthew is showing us that everyone is under God's curse because everyone rejects God's son. Peter, Judas, the chief priest, the elders, Pilate, the crowd. You and me. Hang on, you say, where did I appear here? Why are you suddenly throwing me into this? The point is this, apart from Jesus himself, everyone who features in the passion of the Christ is guilty and is cursed. And the point is clear, had we been there, we too would have been guilty of rejecting the innocent suffering servant. This morning we sang the the Stuart Townend song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. It's a great song. And it makes the point that Matthew makes. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. If I'd been there, and if I may, if you'd been there, if we'd been there, we'd have been in the crowd calling for Jesus' death. Crucify him. We too are guilty. Guilty of rejecting the innocent suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53. And that means we too then are under God's curse, facing an eternity without God. But that's not where it ends. Look at verse 15. It is the feast. Which takes us to our fourth point. Uh, One, the silence of the lamb. Two, the innocence of the servant. Three, the curse of God. Four, the grace of the gospel. You see, the feast mentioned in verse 15 was the feast of the Passover. The Passover was the time when the Jews remembered back to when they were in slavery in Egypt. A time when they recalled that the blood of an innocent lamb painted on the doorposts of their house meant that they would be rescued from the curse of the angel of death coming over them. That's when all this was happening. That's the point of all this. The one rejected here is the innocent lamb of God. The silent lamb led to the slaughter, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. The one who Isaiah tells us was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The one that we considered stricken by God, says Isaiah, cursed by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He is the one who had laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so remarkably, and this is amazing, even though we reject the silent lamb, the innocent suffering servant, that very rejection 
was in God's sovereign purposes the way we could be released from God's curse. Isn't that amazing? Shall I say that again? Even though we reject the silent lamb, the innocent suffering servant, that very rejection was in God's sovereign purposes the very way we could be released from God's curse. I find it very striking that the crowd wanted Barabbas to be released. Barabbas, the notorious son of the father. And they rejected Jesus, the innocent son of the father. That action puts them and us under the curse of God, but in God's sovereignty, it is the very way we can be released from that curse. We started off by thinking about how we cry out for justice, rightly in many ways. But this story and the story of Easter tells us that it's grace we should call out for, not justice. We were around the meal table at home a couple of weeks ago and one of our children complained that one of the others had got something they wanted and this particular child said, it's not fair, which is a kind of a typical line of that particular child of ours. I'm trying not to name them. (laughs) Because that particular child says that quite often, I asked all the children, why as Christians we might not want to ask what is always fair for us? They didn't get it at first, so I asked them another question. I said, if God were to be fair with us, what would that mean for us? What, what do we deserve? Ah, and then it began to dawn on them. We're bad, they said. Oh, yeah, I can't, yeah you certainly are. <laughs> We're bad, they said. So if God was to be fair with us, we wouldn't go to heaven. That's right. And so I said, so we don't always want fair, do we? We want grace. If justice were done, we'd be doomed under the curse of God for rejecting the Son of God. We want grace, the grace that comes when the Son of the Father, the innocent, suffering, silent servant, took our sin upon himself. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should send his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away, the curse of God. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it's finished. Don't cry out for justice. Rejoice in grace. Let's pray together. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. Pilate asked the crowd, who do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. What shall I do with the one who's called Christ? They answered, crucify him. Our Father, we hear our mocking voice with the crowd. We ask your forgiveness for the way that we, in big ways and, and small, turn away from the one who is the silent suffering servant 
As we ask for your forgiveness, we are astonished and amazed that that same rejection of him is the way through which we find forgiveness and can be brought back to you in relationship with you. We thank you for grace. We thank you that your grace is enough, more than I need. And we pray that we would be amazed by grace again today that would result in us wanting to praise you from the bottom of our hearts and live for you the best life we ever could. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.